Someone told me a long time ago, and I think it's fitting for the message today, they said to me, kids, listen to what mom says, but they watch what dad does. That our life matters, that our example sets an indelible course for others to follow. And so that we've been regenerated by Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection. We have a new life that we can live to the fullest. And so if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Here's what it reads. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So many think they know what makes up a Christian. Even there have been those who have read certain passages of scriptures and ascribed behaviors or characteristics to Christians. Certain interpretations of some moral decisions in the Bible are considered ethically questionable by many modern world groups. Some groups, when describing Christians, say that Christians are hypocrites. You ever heard that one? See, a hypocrite is an actor, a person who pretends to be something she or he isn't. See, it's actually an oxymoron. You can't be a Christian and a hypocrite at the same time because you're pretending to be something that you're not. See, Jesus' harshest words were reserved for the hypocrites. The reality is there is always and have been and always will be some hypocrites in the church. See, there's a difference between the church and a believer, a Christian. They should be together, but there can be some differences. But Jesus doesn't ask us to follow others. He asks us to follow him. Some groups describe Christians as having committed atrocities. Have you ever heard that one? Some blame Christianity for religious wars, for crusades, for burning of witches, the Inquisition, slavery, even the Holocaust. The issue of atrocities is simply an extension of the question of being a hypocrite. So-called believers who didn't practice true Christianity have perpetuated evil. In reality, I believe many of these people were Christian in name only, but lacked the power within, lacked being regenerated. Doesn't mean that a Christian can't do some horrible stuff when we're not following and obeying the Lord. But the Bible reminds us that it says the love of God compels, constrains us, that we share love with others, that we share love with the whole world because of his great love for us. So if we were to answer that question today, what is the life of a Christian? What would come to mind? What thoughts would you think about? Holiness, yeah. Maybe some of you would say followers of Jesus, right? Someone who trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so there are many things that can come to mind. The word Christian is used, but do you know that the word Christian is only used in the Bible three times? It's actually not a title that was given by God, but as they saw others behaving like Jesus, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. As they saw them following him, they called them Christians. See, we, uh, we see the very first 
time that it was used was in the book of Acts, the 11th chapter, verse 26. It says this, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The followers of Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch because they believed in Christ and followed his example. So however we think about these different ideas of what a Christian looks like, what a, how a Christian behaves, God wants us to understand. And so Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks to us about this new life that we have in Christ. We see in Romans 1, 2, he beseeched, he begged by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice. And so we get to examine what the Christian life should entail. Anybody ever had some moments that it looked good on paper, but when you tried to apply that thing, it wasn't as easy? And so I believe Paul understands this, and he's speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking through the inspiration of God that he shares this particular chapter with us to get the message across, to get it so that our eyes would see, that our ears would understand. And so there's three ways to live the Christian life that Paul mentions and kind of shares with us in this particular chapter. And I'd like to share that with you today as well, the three ways to live the Christian life. First way is to be living sacrifices to God. The second is to serve God with your spiritual gifts and then behave like a Christian. So let us begin. Be living sacrifices to God. In Romans 1, again, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, Paul is encouraging and even begging Christians, brethren, with the word brethren. He's talking to Christians, like-minded, those that have accepted Christ, to live a certain way in light of what God has done for you. And to understand that God calls us to make a choice about the way that we live for him. That you present your bodies. And see, that word body means a whole lot there. We're presenting, we're giving all to God, our mind, our will, and emotions, our body, our soul, and our spirit. We're not holding anything back, but we're giving it all to him. See, in this context, when we give the body to God, the soul and the spirit go with it. Our mind, our will, our emotions. Present your bodies means to lay all of ourselves at the altar of God. And see, we might think about that and say, well, man, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm laying myself at an altar. They sacrifice at an altar. But we're talking about the altar of God, the one who loves you with an undying love, the one that has plans for good and not bad, the one that wants to do great, and amazing things in your life. That God wants you, not just your work, not just your time, not just your money. He wants all of you. That you would present all of you to him. Some may do all kinds of works for God, but never give him themselves. Fully give themselves over to him. See, the mandate for Christians is to be willing every day to give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Let me talk about that living sacrifice because that, that's, uh, that, that's something that we really need to grab hold to. See, you cannot be effective in your Christian life without being willing to give yourself up and die to the carnal things of this world. 
continually laying down your life gives you the ability to pick up Christ daily, the life of Christ. As we lay down, we pick up. See, in the Bible area, they understood a little bit about this taking a sacrifice to the altar, bringing it before God. And so Paul is begging that they and we make ourselves a living sacrifice. And this is a striking image and a statement. Just think about the image of laying yourself on the altar. See, the sacrifice is living because it is brought alive to the altar. This is not when they've killed it and prepped and, and give a portion to the priest and they take a portion to the other. This is coming, living to the, to the altar. The l- sacrifice is living because it stays alive at the altar. Being sacrificed, staying alive on the altar. Because there it is an ongoing sacrifice. Don't sound too good, right? Some of you say, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm, I'm visualizing that, and that don't sound too good. Wait for it. See, this living sacrifice statement also shows that Paul has in mind the burnt offering. See, what a burnt offering is, is the other offerings were repentance from sin. They would take the offering and try to get right with God. But a burnt offering is that because of the thankfulness of the goodness of God and how gracious he's been, they would give a burnt offering. And it would be an offering of saying, thank you, Lord. I praise you. I magnify your holy name. And so a living offering, a living sacrifice is in essence a visual of that burnt offering of thanksgiving. That you're laying it upon the altar. And here's what happens when you give a burnt offering for God, that the smoke goes up like a sweet-smelling aroma in his nostrils. And it's a continual aroma. So as we make ourselves a living sacrifice, an offering of thanksgiving before God, it's like a sweet-smelling aroma in the nostrils of God. And there's something happens when God is well pleased. There's something happens when we praise and we, we give him a, an, an, a praise offering of sacrifice. See, as the blessings, the praises go up, blessings come down. See, God just inhabits the praises of his people. And so he mentions something else in this first verse. He says, holy and acceptable to God. What you bring to God should be holy, should be acceptable for his righteous standing. standing. That word holy means to be consecrated, to set apart your life. You see, I know some of you may be thinking, well, you know, in and of myself, I'm not perfect. I, don't, I haven't done everything right. You know, there's some blemishes because Leviticus 1.10 says, he shall bring a male without blemish. And maybe you said, well, I don't qualify. See, at the moment that you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became righteous in the sight of God. You are righteous. You are holy. But, all, but this also means a little extra. It's got some lanyop in it. It means to, be, to set apart your life, holy and acceptable. Not separate, not compartmentalizing God. Well, I go to church on Sunday, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do Monday through Saturday. But that we would set apart, holy and acceptable that we would be the chosen sacrifice for God. We'd give up those things, those want-tos for the get-tos. We'd give up the, the cares of this world for the love of God. We'd give up chasing me, myself, and I to run and hunger and thirst after righteousness. So this is what Paul is talking about. 
set apart your life. Don't make it separate. But choose to live outside of the world's ways and the world's thinking. Set yourself apart from it. Choose to live. Choose to be a living sacrifice to God. Don't hold on to the world and then having defects in the sacrifice. So what could this mean to the believer? The holiness we bring to the altar is a decision for holiness. We decide to leave behind our old ways. And yielding to the work of holiness in our life. Yes, we make poor decisions at times, unholy decisions at times, and actions sometimes that, and sometimes many times, that are not pleasing to God. But in our heart, are we making a decision to be holy, to hunger and thirst after him? just like we are holy in his sight. Let us consecrate ourselves, desire the sincere milk of the Lord, desire to be in his presence, and watch God do a work in us. Here's what Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See that word blessed comes with the connotation of being joyful. Nourished by God's goodness when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are those who hunger and thirst for it, those who actively seek right standing with God. We don't just kind of go back on our grace and be like, you know, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. And we don't seek him. See, the Christian life is that we would seek after God. The Christian life is that we would be a living sacrifice. We would support, separate ourselves from the world to go after God and his righteousness. But then there's a part in this that sums up verse 1. He says, which is your reasonable service? It's important that we understand. What does it mean is your reasonable service. See, the ancient Greek word for reasonable, lokikos, can be translated of the word. Of the word, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service is a life of worship according to God's word that we live this life of sacrifice, we present our bodies according to God's word. That's the life of worship we are to live. It is reasonable when you think of the far great mercies that God has done for you. To have a life of worship that's according to God's word. See, it's a life after and a life according to his standard, not our standard, not our ways. The Bible says our ways are not like his ways. Our thoughts are not like his thoughts. Far as the heaven is from the earth are our thoughts from his thoughts. And so we choose to live according to his word and not ours. It's our reasonable service of the word of God. And then Romans 12, verse 2 says this, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he began that verse by saying, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world's popular culture and the way of thinking, which is rebellion against God. 
The world will try to conform us to its ungodly pattern and even criticize us for choosing to be different. That process we must resist. Don't allow ourselves to be conformed to it. God wants to transform our thinking, our will, and our ways. When thinking about the world, Scripture tells us our ways are not his ways. So transformation is the only way. And I tell you, this hit me hard, you know, as I was reflecting on what the Lord has done for me. And I realized and I was reminded that the, if, if, the, if the, the pre-Christ Jeff was, was, was trying to be buddies with the now Jeff, that would be a starch difference. There would be some problems in the land. Because I remembered, and I tell you this, because one thing I've learned in this walk, that we can sit here and we can pull out the Bible and there can be some differences on all these different things and we can argue points about pre and post and trib and re-trib and all kind of things. But what we can't argue with is a transformed life. And God has transformed my life. And so he tells us, let me just share what that means. In the ancient Greek, the word transform means metaphorical, Describe, which describes a metamorphosis. See, that word metamorphosis is a change of form or nature of a thing or a person to a completely different one. It's not the same anymore. There is a, there is a complete change that happens by natural or supernatural, that's what the definitions say, but we know it's supernatural. That only God can do it. To transform us, to change us. To mature us. That we don't think the way we used to think. Because the old Jeff didn't think it was a problem with, with I'm ashamed to even say. There was a time in my life that I thought it was okay, and I thought I was all that running the streets, womanizing, taking what God meant to be a holy union between a man and a woman. And at 19 years old, I thought I was all that. And I remember I met two young ladies, and they liked me. And that in the early afternoon, I had a date with one. In the evening, I had a date with the other. And that early afternoon, I took that, the, the first one to my house, and I slept with the first one in, with my, in my house. And then in that early evening, I took the other the one in the evening on a date, and I slept with her on the same day in my house. And I chose which one was going to be my girlfriend on based on how good I thought that meant something. I saw in the scripture where it talks about when you lead someone astray and how the blood, their blood could be on your hands. And I'm so thankful that today I couldn't fathom that. That I see the horror in that. I see the brokenness in that. I see the wretchedness. But it's because he transformed me. But how do we get there? See, Paul talks about, he says, by renewing your mind. See, many Christians are challenged in this area because we have been so conformed already that it's difficult to think and act differently. We don't want to change sometimes. Many have lived a life based on how they feel about something, and our feelings drive us. 
or what they're able to do or control within their own abilities. And they try to work it out for themselves. See, this happens even in our Christianity. See, the only other place Paul uses this word transformed is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Look what he says. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. See, you remember when that happened before with John on the Isle of Patmos? When he behold the glory of the Lord, the Bible says he fell on his face. And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. See, as we allow ourselves to move closer to God, draw near to him, get in his presence, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. So you can't get up close to God and not something happen. You can't spend time with God and there be some transformation in you because he's a powerful God. He's a holy God. And something happens when the holiness gets in the room, when he gets in the present, it infects everything around it. are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, away from our own glory to his glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So for Paul, this transformation and renewing of our mind takes place as we behold the face of God, as we spend time in his presence and his glory. There's something that happens. There's a transformation. There's a metamorphosis. There's a washing away of the old and the new comes ever closer. But here's what J.B. Phillips, when he was translating these verses and just thinking about it, here's what he said. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, that we really see the mercies of God and how good he's been to us. I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, know why you're worshiping, know why you're giving him praise, to give him your bodies, give him everything, give it all to him as a living sacrifice every day. Consecrated to him, set apart from him, not jumping back and forth in the world, but set apart and acceptable by him. He loves you so much. His arms are wide open. He wants to just continue to draw us closer. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice not just in faith, but in practice, in what you believe and what you do, that the plan of God for you is good. And that it meets all the demands and moves toward the goal of true maturity. So that's what he says. As our mind is being renewed, we think differently. Our conscience changes. And as we think differently, we act differently. See, look at Romans 12, 3. So he jumped into 12, 3 about this thinking. For I say through the grace given unto you to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God have dealt to every man a measure of faith that he saved us for an intended purpose not to take privilege in, 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 in our righteousness, not to heap glory upon ourselves but to think soberly that God has a plan for us, that he so desires that we would walk in it 
and that we can trust him all of our days. But then that leads to the next point here, to serve God with your spiritual gifts. See, God has gifted each and every one of us. Not only does he desire that we be a living sacrifice, that every day we go before the altar of God, we trust God, we depend upon him, but now these gifts that he's given us, that we would serve him. In Romans 13 verse, excuse me, Romans 12, verse 4 through 6, talks about this. Here's what it says, for as we have many members in one body, and so I messed that up on the, on the slides there. It should be Romans 12, verse 4 through 6. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy According to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that rooteth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So the word of God is challenging us to exercise the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Because the one body of Christ needs your member. See, you are valuable. You are important. And the gifts that God has given to you are not for you alone, but for the body, for the world, so that they would see Christ, that they would grow in their relationship with him, and that they would serve him also. In this Christian life, do your part. It's what you have been created for. If there is uncontentment, if there is, you know, unsettledness in you, for the most part, if we're not walking in what God has called us to, we're going to be uncontent. We're going to be unsettled. We're going to wonder why we're feeling out of sorts. Because you are a part of the body of Christ. And those members, whether it's a finger or an arm or a leg, can't fully function the way it's intended without you. And so the Holy Spirit is keeping you unsettled so that you would step into that calling that God's placed on your life. It's what you have been created, formed, and transformed to do. See, I love the part that says everyone members one of another. See, this means that we belong to each other and have a responsibility to each other. These gifts have been given by God for us to use for his glory and not our gain or our preference. So Paul, through this passage, states a key word that continues to give us direction on living the Christian life. That it is not about being forced to follow a bunch of rules, but that Christ has set us free. We are no longer to be in bondage to sin. Who the Son is set free is free indeed. So what's that key word here in this passage, in, this, in these couple of verses that keeps jumping out that Paul is trying to give us a message on? That key word is let us. L-E-T. See, it means to allow or to permit, to allow yourself to live according to God's word, God's plans. He ain't going to force you. He's not that kind of God. But Paul encourages us to allow, to permit ourselves. See, when you pr present yourselves, you give yourself to God. You don't hold anything back. 
When you allow God to use you as a vital member of the body of Christ, there's going to be some wars. There's going to be some battles. There's going to be some hardships, some trials, some weary nights. So that's a part of it. But as you allow God to move in your life, guide your steps, there is a greater work going on in you than the work that's going on in the world. So he says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Look with me on that verse, 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God. See, we can never forget that. We got to remember who we belong to. Little children and have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I guarantee you can never outserve or outgive God. See, he'll always fill your vessel. He'll always pour into you as you are pouring out. See, it's by his strength, by his work. We are the vessels. We are the clay. He is the potter. So this final area that we're challenged, that challenges us to act like who we are, to be who we are, it challenges us to behave, to act like you've been there before. To act like you know who is greater. Behave like you know who you are. You know whose you are and the plans and the purposes that he has for you. Point three, behave like a Christian. Behave like a follower of Christ. Here's what Romans 12 verse 9 and 10 says. Let love be without dissemination. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. See, I just like to say it plainly, behave yourself. Be the person you're called to be. Love is the primary character and behavior of a Christian because God is love. That's why scripture tells us that you can't say that you love God and hate your neighbor. See, the second behavior that we see that we exegesis from this passage here is we see here is to cleave, to hold on tightly to that which is good. Don't allow yourself to be watered down by the evil of this world. Stop holding on to what the president is doing. Stop holding on to what's happening on the other block. You know what I'm talking about. Because here's the reality. Because out of the abundance of the heart, if we put those things, if we cleave to those things, the mouth speaks. That's what we're going to talk about. All those issues of life. What we have, uh, so what we've been cleaving to will come out of us. So cleave to that which is good. So he gives us the behavior of love. The character of love. He gives us the behavior of cleave. Hold tightly to that which is good. That we have a positive response. And then the third behavior of a Christian is to be kind. See, there's two ways to be kind that he expresses here. To show affection and to show honor. Care for others. Don't worry about it if you're going to get the same back. Just do it and watch what God does with it. And you know, you know, uh, sometimes you hear old people say, well, back, folks today just so disrespectful. Back in the day, we used to know how to show respect. Well, we still need to be 
show honor and respect today is a characteristic of God. That we honor one another, we respect one another, we treat others the way Christ treated us. See, this is an essential to the Christian life. Paul addresses this tenet of showing affection and honor to one another in every aspect of our lives in Ephesians 5.21. He says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There is a mutual submission that Christians owe one to another. That we condescend to bear one another's burdens not advancing ourselves above others, nor domineering over one another, but give, and not giving laws to one another, but showing grace and mercy towards one another, that there's a mutual surrendering of one another in the fear, the reverence, the understanding of what God has done, his unmeasurable love, his immeasurable love for us. And so how, so the question today is how honorable will you be in your affairs, your business transactions, your relationships with others? See, it's gonna tell how you walk in the Christian life. Are you having integrity in showing honor for others? irrespective of their position or title. See, this pleases God that the children are loving each other and loving him. See, there's an unintended impact that occurs when we are disrespectful or when we don't show love, when we're non-loving. See, this behavior chills communication and collaboration. It undercuts individual con contributions. It undermines morale. It creates an unhealthy or hostile home, work, church environment. It causes some to abandon their profession, leave their church, leave their community, and ultimately harms others. Disrespectful behavior and the lack of love causes the recipient to experience fear, anger, shame, confusion, uncertainty, isolation, self-doubt. See, I don't know about you, the Lord is, you know, is constantly checking how I do and what I say and my responses. And sometimes I mess up. But I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit's right there to say, Jeff, that wasn't right. Say you're sorry. Apologize. Correct it. Be sensitive to God's love and respect for others. And so Paul gives us some clear guidance just in case we need to figure out exactly what should I do and not do. So we see these three big pictures. We see be a living sacrifice. We see serve God with our spiritual gifts. And we see behave like a Christian. And so he gets to verse 11. And he gives us some details verse 18 that I think really just if, if you were wondering now I want to be clear about saying you know this is you know we don't work our way into heaven you know God is uh, you know this is not a workspace thing but Ephesians 2 8 tells us we've been saved by grace not of works least any man should boast but it's the, the gift of God and then verse 10 tells us we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we do good things because we've been created that way, because we've been fashioned. And so here's a, 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 a list just to remind us. Romans 12, verse 11 through 18. 
not slothful in business, not being lazy, doing what we're supposed to do, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Be excited about serving the Lord. Don't be walking around like a sad sack. You know, somebody told me a long time ago that it says a, a, a smile matters. How joyful you are as a Christian matters because everybody wants to be a part of something good. Nobody wants to be a part of something bad. And if they look at you and if they were to look at your face after you just came out of church, what would be the response? They'd be like, I don't know about that. So fervent in spirit, rejoicing in hope that we are joyful, that it, there may be some trials, there may be some situations going on in our life, but we still can be hopeful because those situations, they don't define us, they won't destroy us, and they're not the final say. God's going to move us past that. And so we can be hopeful, patient in tribulation. See, people watch when you're going through a trial. I remember that's the one of the things my sister said to me. She was the one that was doing some of it, but she was watching me. I had a thoughts in my mind like this little hateful thing. But God was reminding me, be patient, Jeff, be patient in tribulation. And when she came to Christ, when we were sitting there, and she, tears were pouring down her face, and I was able to share with her the gospel, and she accepted Christ. We were able to talk about those situations. She said, well, I was just trying to see if it was real. You said you was a Christian. You said you loved Jesus, so I wanted to see if it was real. Continuing constant in prayer. Don't sacrifice your prayer life. It's a part of your Christian walk. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Be willing to give to others. You ain't going to lose. He got a cattle on a thousand hills. Giving to hospitality. Be willing to care for others. Bless them which persecute you. Now, you know, that's why, you know, we, we hear often, my grandmother used to say it all the time, too. She said, bless your heart. <laughs> See what that scripture say? It says, bless them which persecute you, bless and not curse, and curse not. <laughs> so, saints of God, even though we don't use certain words no more, you know we can still say stuff that can be offensive. And so he tells us to bless them which persecute us. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Be willing to get on the journey. When somebody is, uh, God's blessing them, they're rejoicing. Don't, don't be saying like, well, well, where am I at? No. Rejoice with them. And weep with them that weep. When you got it going good, don't forget that there's those around you that are going through something, weep with them. Jesus did it. Get on the journey with one another. The Christian life, that's what we do. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. See, sometimes if we're not careful, we can forget that not everybody's in the same place that we are in. That we can talk about things when somebody's got a, got a situation or a great need going on in their life, and we're talking about things. See, it's telling us, don't, don't, don't be high-minded. Don't forget that, you know, we are together. This is a one body. And it's so important for us to you know, be understanding of where each other are. What they used to do in the early church of the New Testament, when they would come and they would bring all of their food and they would have fellowship when it was supposed to be like a, a, a fasting time, they would bring food and they would share it with their family at the church and there were people that didn't have anything. 
and they would just eat it right in front of them. They would sit there and not offer to them. See, they were forgetting this, to be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. Be mindful of those around us. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Don't try to get revenge. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And in verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. God's been so good to us. See, this, this life of, of a Christian doesn't have to be this overwhelming, just hard thing. There's actually God's intent is that it would be good, it would be glorious, but it's so important that we understand it the right way, that we have joy, that we have peace, that we understand sacrifice is a good thing because it's before God. That we're willing to give to others. That we're willing to follow his plan. Just as Christ did it. Christ did all of this for us. So that we would be set free. And be able to live this life to the fullest. And so I close with this. May we prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. May it be proven in our life. In our life as a Christian, as our in our life as a child of God, that we would prove that it's good for our lives, we live the Christian life. Saints of God, live it out to the fullest. Don't hold back on God. He won't hold back on you.